This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Now I plead with you to walk worthy of that calling. He's speaking to you and I as believers. He's speaking to the believers for generations past and should the Lord tarry generations yet to come. There is a calling on our life as believers and Paul is saying, I am begging you, walk worthy of that calling. Now, if you really have a hold of that, we come back and we look here as he says, I beseech you, I Plead with you, brethren. Join us today as Pastor David shares with us the importance of cooperating with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul is pleading with you as a believer to live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life. Are you living a sacrificial life for the Lord, or are you living for yourself? Living a transformed and holy life is not so that you can be saved, Living a transformed life proves that you've genuinely received Christ in your heart. Choose to obey God rather than your flesh. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, The Transformed Life. Paul begins this whole phrase with, I beseech you, and that whole idea of I beseech you, it comes from a Greek word, parakaleo. Parakaleo has absolutely nothing to do with Aunt Susie's parakeet, okay? Nothing to do with that at all. It's actually a, a combination of two Greek words. The two Greek words are para and kaleo. Para meaning to come alongside of, and kaleo means to call aloud. So in other words, it's the idea of he's, he is coming alongside and he's crying out. He's calling out to them. And it, for a better understanding of it, we could give it the definition, or it has a definition in the meaning of to urge or to plead, to beg, to earnestly desire. And this is what Paul is saying at this point. This word is used throughout the New Testament. We read it several times, even in the Gospels. One of the times that we read in the Gospels, you'll remember the story of the man named Legion, who had a multiple of demons within him. And remember, Jesus was getting ready to cast the demons out. And it says that the demons themselves beseeched or pled or urged Jesus, don't send us into the final judgment at this point in time. They were pleading at that point in time a very earnest and desire that they had. This is the thought and this is the idea that Paul has here as he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The other idea, the, the understanding to grasp a hold of what he's saying, Paul uses this word in his writings over 50 times. In Paul's letters to the churches, he is urging, he is pleading with, he is begging with the churches. I beseech you. One of the areas and one of the verses that we can look at real quickly is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Keep your place in Romans. We're going to be right back. I just want you to look at this verse for a moment. Again, of another usage so you can get the intensity of what Paul is saying to us this morning. For you and I. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul speaks this. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. I beg of you, I plead with you, I urge you in every way possible that you would walk worthy of the manner, or uh, work worthy of the calling with which you were called. I 
plead with you. You are called with a calling. Now I plead with you to walk worthy of that calling. He's speaking to you and I as believers. He's speaking to the believers for generations past and should the Lord tarry generations yet to come. There is a calling on our life as believers and Paul is saying, I am begging you, walk worthy of that calling. Now, if you really have a hold of that, we come back and we look here as he says, I beseech you. I Plead with you, brethren. Well, and again, we come to that idea and the thought, well, what does this whole idea of beseeching mean? It has the idea of, again, the abundance of the grace. You know, the law commands us to do. The law says, thou shalt do. But it's grace that comes and says, I beseech you. I plead with you. I urge you to do this. Where the law brings command, Grace gives, again, correction, direction, and instruction for us. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, and you have to think, well, what do you mean, therefore? And you understand that whenever you see the therefore, you have to check to see what the therefore is there for, right? That's, that's, again, that's the first line of understanding of the Word of God for you and I. If there is a therefore in the Scripture, back up. Find out what the therefore is there for. Well, where do we find that? Well, we have to look back at the outline of the previous 11 chapters that we've done in Romans. The previous 11 chapters is what Paul is saying. Now, I've said all that. Now, therefore, in the past, we've looked at sin, the, man, the idea that all mankind is in need of redemption. We looked at the understanding of salvation, that, that provision had been given by God for our redemption. We looked at the idea and the thought of sanctification. That's that work of God as He works in our life, the effect of redemption. And then here of late, we've been in chapters 9, 10, and 11, all together speaking of the sovereignty sovereignty of God, the scope of our redemption, and now we are moving into this area of service, that fruit of our redemption, and that's what the transformed life is all about. And as we look at chapters 12 and 13, 14, and the very beginning of chapter 15, it speaks of this transformed life, this change of life that ought to be taking place in our lives. And he says here in Romans, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What are those mercies? Those are the very things that we've read about in these previous 11 chapters. That God had every right for who He was, not only as Creator, but as the Holy One. He had every right to wipe us out, to take us out, and to, to not ever offer redemption for us at all. Yet because of His mercy, because of His grace... God extended to us the forgiveness of sins. That's why Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because or by the mercies of God. How important for you and I to understand the depth of the mercy of God. And the only way that you and I can understand the depth of the mercy of God is to understand really the depth of our sin. And if we think that our sin is no big deal, then all we have to do is go back to the cross and we realize the depth of our sin was sufficient enough that Jesus Christ had to die for my sin. Even if it was no other sin on the world, he had to die for my sin. So as I understand the depth of my sin, I understand the depth of his mercy. It was such an understanding that the dynamics of this whole idea of the mercy of God led Isaac Watts, a hymn 
hymn writer of years ago to write these words, Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Beloved, that is the transformed life. That is the life that is wholly and completely given to the Lord. And that's why Paul says that in light of all that we know and all that we've experienced, this is what we should do. We should present our bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Well, what exactly does he mean by a living sacrifice? Does that mean that I have to go and get a uh, bunch of stones and start piling them up in my backyard and build this little altar and crawl up on top of it and lay myself out? Is that what he means by a living sacrifice? Well, no, no. He means a life that day in and day out is absolutely and totally surrendered to our king. A living sacrifice because I'm still actively involved in the world today. I'm living my life for the time that the Lord has given me here in honor of Him and as a representative of Him. And the only way that that living sacrifice can really be seen for you and I is we need to understand that He's dealing in our lives as resurrected lives, as committed lives. Because remember, outside of Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You could not be a living sacrifice because you were already dead. It's only through Christ that we are brought back alive in order that we might be that living sacrifice. I am alive in Christ in order that I might live my life for Christ in every aspect of the way. And that is what is called a committed life. You and I, our lives committed wholly and completely to Him. To get a better understanding of what that commitment to Him means, I'm reminded of the story of the chicken and the pig. And I know it's an old illustration, but bear with me. The chicken came up to the pig one day and he says, Hey pig, I was thinking we should open a restaurant. And the pig replied, says, huh, I don't know, what would we call it? The chicken says, well, how about ham and eggs? Well, the pig thought about that for a while, and then he responded, no thanks. I'd be committed, but you'd only be involved. You understand what ham and eggs means to a pig and to a chicken. For the pig, it means absolute commitment. For the chicken, it only means involvement. You know the unfortunate thing? There are many Christians today that are involved with the kingdom of God. And they're not committed to it. They're involved when it's convenient. They're involved when it's popular. They're involved when it doesn't take them out of their own course and direction of life. But they're not willing to be committed wholeheartedly as living sacrifices. And beloved, that's what God calls for you and I to be. That we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And what kind of a life do we commit to Him? Lives that are holy. Holy lives. What does that holy mean? Again, it comes from a Greek word, agios. And agios has that understanding. It's the base word that we also get the word for saint. Now, there are a lot of saints, you know, and it's not the ones that are on the, uh, the window glass or in the marble statuary. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you realize this morning that the Bible says that you are a saint? Some of you do, some of you don't. You are a saint. I look around the room this morning and I see a multitude of saints. 
Sometimes we don't feel quite like saints, though, do we? And for someone to come up and say, oh, but you are a saint, whoa, kind of takes our breath away because we know who we are. But do you really know who you are? Because really and truly, in Christ, you are a saint. Along with that understanding, though, comes the understanding or comes the definition and the meaning of what it means to be a saint. That idea that a saint is one who is set apart, he is sanctified, he is a holy one. That she has determined in her life that no longer am I going to be found soiled and stained by the things of the world, but I want my life set apart and set unto the glory of God. We as living sacrifices, sacrifices are to live our lives holy. And this whole idea comes from the temple instruments that were used in the worship of Jehovah God. Those instruments were physically pure, morally blameless, ceremonially consecrated, that they would take them and again they would work in them to make them special instruments. They they weren't used for common purposes. They were used for holy purposes. And you and I in our lives, this ought to be a definition of who we are to the world that's around us. The world ought to see us and to understand that we are a different people, that we are, as the Bible says, a peculiar people. And the unfortunate thing is too many people... Believers in particular are peculiar in the wrong way instead of the right way. God has called for us to be holy, acceptable unto God. And Paul says, and that is your reasonable service. That idea, that logical service, the the very word there, the Greek word, is where we get the word logical. The rational. It's an understanding mind that I understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Man, that's just what I'm supposed to be doing. As a matter of fact, Adam Clark, a Bible commentator, writes about this with the idea of reasonable service. He says that Christian service and worship is lochikos, rational, because when performed according to the true intent and meaning, the heart and soul are engaged, committed in the service. He's saying that you and I, if we understand what our reasonable service is, it's a rational thing, it's a logical thing, knowing and understanding that all that Christ has done on our behalf, all that God has given us through Christ, the blessings that He has poured out, man, it only makes sense that I would give myself as a living sacrifice to Him, that I would live myself whole out for Him, that my life would be a demonstration of Him in every aspect of my life. In fact, it comes to the very essence that it's life of worship, that our lives ought to be lives of worship in every aspect of our lives, not just simply coming here on a weekend to be able to listen to a praise band and to be able to enter into singing time. No, our worship ought to be every part in every aspect of our lives. That's why the Word of God says that all that your hands find to do, do it as unto the Lord. All that you do, rather word or deed, doing it as unto the Lord. For you and I as a believer, and you need to catch this because it's so important, you and I as a believer, there should never, ever be a separation of that which is sacred and that which is secular. There is nothing in the life of the believer that is secular. Nothing. Everything that you and I do needs to be sacred. 
Does that mean that all I can do is go to church? No, that means that everything that you do is unto the Lord. It is given to Him. That means that if you are driving a truck or driving nails, if you are sitting in an office or if you are babysitting children, whatever you find to do, do it as unto the Lord, giving glory and honor to Him. You know what? As an employee, you ought to be the best employee that company has ever had. Why? Because you are of the redeemed and your life is a living sacrifice unto God. As an employer, you ought to be the best employer a, 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 an employee could have because of the way that you treat your employees, because of the integrity of your business, and because of your care and concern for people. And people ought to see that in the lives of believers. Beloved, we are so far from what used to be called the Puritan work ethic that the world doesn't recognize that anymore. This current generation has no clue. As a matter of fact, I would say this generation and perhaps a generation prior to that has no clue of what a Puritan work ethic would be. A Puritan work ethic is that, you know what, everything that I do, I do it as unto the Lord with the fullness of my life, the fullness of my energy. And if I have a godless uncaring, wicked boss, I'm not serving him, I'm serving my king while employed under this one. And I live my life to the glory of God even while I may be employed by a godless individual or a godless company. Do you think that the first century Christians were in prime and pristine situations? No, many of those believers who were slaves and they lived their lives under harsh conditions and yet Paul says, you know what, you're not serving man but you're serving God. And I want to throw in one more thing and this is a little parenthesis. There's no extra charge for here and I'm not going to be able to take much time on it but you need to hear it just like every other service thus far. You and I, life ought to so shine for Christ that in every aspect of our life, our free time as well as our business time ought to be a demonstration of Christ. And just a little pet peeve of mine is that when you go into a restaurant and you are served at that restaurant and you decide, well, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to pray for my meal. And let me encourage you, as a Christian, you ought to be praying. Yes, even in the restaurants, you can ask a prayer for that meal. And then at the end of that meal, when that bill comes, that you tip mightily for that one that's serving you, that you tip very, very well. Oh, but pastor, I, I understand and I will, but you, the service that I received last night, you can't believe that. That's why I didn't leave a tip. You know what? You call that one over and you say, you know what? You've served us and we've not had full drink glasses. Uh, we've missed on that. We missed on that. And uh, we really were not pleased with the service tonight. But I want to bless you anyway because they saw you pray. And so you put $20 down or $10 down and you bless them anyway. Do you think that that might speak to them so much more than you just walking out of the restaurant after they've seen you pray? You and I as a believer, it ought to cost us something to be a demonstration of Christ in the lives of people. And it's not only in the restaurants. In this parenthesis, I don't want it to go too far, but you need to understand because this is practical stuff for you and I. You're in the grocery store and you're in the line and the person in front of you in line, they don't have the right change or they missed that or they're waiting to get something because they didn't take time to pick it up in the aisle, but they remembered it when they got there. And you're in a hurry and you're waiting, and I'm speaking of practical experience here, okay? Um, you're waiting and you're getting frustrated and you're bothered because you need to get on. Do you cop an attitude or do you show them the love of Christ? 
Do you smile at that individual who's probably embarrassed or frustrated anyway? And when you get to that cashier, you have a smile and you bless them in the name of the Lord? Or do you complain, well, why didn't they, they had, they had 16 items and this is the 15 item lane. So what? It's the life that you live that's going to make much, much more of an importance in people's lives. And you and I ought to be a light to the world. We ought to be the best employees, the best employers, the best tippers, the best customers that anyone should have. We ought to be the best service people going above and beyond when we serve others in whatever aspect that we have. People need to see the light of Christ in your life and in mine, both by the actions that we have as well as the way that we speak and how it grains against my spirit whenever I hear an individual who claims the name of Christ and their language is, a polite way to say it, is rough and edgy. You know what? I don't see my Jesus that way. And if we're to be a light to the world, then that light ought to go all the way to our language also and to the attitudes of our heart in every aspect of it. And I've gone farther than I wanted to, but that's okay. We're still on my time. End of parenthesis. Paul next makes both a negative and a positive statement. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This whole idea of being conformed to the world. Don't allow yourself to be poured into the jello mold of the world, folks. The world is pushing you in every way to make you conform to its image. And Jesus does not want you and I to be fitting into the mold of the world. He wants us to be transformed. Transformed. Again, not a transformer. Not a metallic thing. A real and true thing. It comes from the Greek word that we get metamorphosis from. The understanding that we are changing into something completely different. Completely different. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you remember as he met there with Elijah and with Moses. And again, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he was transformed before the very eyes of the disciples. And just the spectacularness of all that took place. The very glory of the Lord came upon him. He was changed. It's the same idea and thought that when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it's nothing that that caterpillar can do. It's nothing that the, the, the caterpillar's kind of pushing out its sides for a while until, well, hopefully maybe they'll eventually break out into wings. And, okay, great, I got them wings now. Oh, but they're pretty dull. I need to get some color. No, it's nothing that the caterpillar can do. It is the work of, by the design of God that works in them. And there's one quick thing that I haven't shared with the other ones, but I want to share with you. The reality is that you cannot interrupt that process, and it is a process. You interrupt it, you try to speed it through, it will not be what God has designed it to be. And it is a difficult process when you are in the process of being transformed to the image of Christ. Beloved, it is difficult. It's one of the most difficult things that you and I will go through. When God created us, God says, let us form man in our image. Then the devil came along and said, I will deform man by sin. And then the world came along and the world says, we must conform man into our image. And that's the battle that's going on in our lives right now. But it doesn't end with that because now also education comes along. And education says, well, let us inform man by knowledge. 
and that'll make him better. And society says, oh no, we will reform man and by culture. And you know what? It doesn't matter the education or the culture that an individual has. Because if all you're counting on is education and cultural change, then you will have an informed, culturally elite sinner. It does not change. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.